0: What's up, everybody? Big Sky Breakdown. First Big Sky Breakdown for the last week of October. It's Colter Nuanez, SkylineSportsMT.com. Thanks so much for hanging out with us at the Big Sky Breakdown. Two weeks in a row, the normal batting order. Fun Big Sky Breakdown coming up for you. Brooks sports SkylineSportsMT.com. Co-founder, what ails the Grizzlies? Why is the won't-be-beat mentality by the Bobcats so impressive? How big are these upcoming games between Montana at Weber State and Idaho at Sac State? We get into a similar subject matter. With Ty Gregorak, a longtime assistant football coach throughout the Big Sky Conference and our lead analyst here at Skyline Sports. And then we also hear from Andrew Houghton. He and I had a conversation on my daily radio show, Nuanas Now, on ESPN-MT on Wednesday. That was part of our ESPN roundtable. So you can hear all of that here on this week's Big Sky Breakdown. Thanks to our great sponsors, Blackfoot Communications, Blackfoot helping you connect to more. Opportunity Bank, your local bank, your opportunity. Nick Tabor and Westpac Wealth helping make your life more tax-efficient. Town Pump, Montana's best, keeping us fueled up all football season long. And JNV Restaurant Supply, your home for everything kitchen. also got to thank our Fit During Football sponsors. Actually just got done as I record this little hype strength class down there at the Hype House. Thanks to Allie and the gals for keeping my brain, mind, body fresh during football season. Thanks to Nutrition on Reserve and Elevate Nutrition. If you want to find out how to get the proper amount of protein into your body, clean up your nutrition, be feeling great mentally and physically, Visit Elevate Nutrition's Facebook page. And also thanks to Hot House Yoga for their continued support of our fit during football initiative as well. Without further ado, Big Sky Breakdown, SportsMT.com, Brooks Nuanez. Joining me, Coulter Nuñez, right here. Well, we have had a couple secondary names for this Big Sky Breakdown podcast over the years. Uh, the most recent, until the new one that we're about to tell you. Has been throw the ball to the tight end, so that's what we joke about and scream about and yell about and analyze about. Now I think that the new name of the podcast, the new subtitle of the Big Sky Breakdown, is "Call the effing timeout." Just call the timeout. Call the timeout. You have three of them. Call it when there's under two minutes on the clock. What are you saving it for? If you got three of them, it's if you got two of them, call the timeout. I couldn't. Be... What's Weber State doing in the first half? I know that there's so much to get into in this Montana State-Weber State game. What are they doing in the first half? We'll call the timeout. Montana, Sac State, down the stretch, regulation, overtime, everything. Call the timeout. Why are they not calling the timeouts? Nobody's been able to explain it to me. It's the most nonsensical thing in the world. I just don't get it. I don't get it.
1: Brooks dot SkylineSportsMT.com. Joining me, Coulter Nuanas here on the Big Sky Breakdown, also now known as Call the Timeout. Yeah, it's ridiculous. I mean, it's especially, I think that the Montana sack game ended with five timeouts on the board as regulation goes away, maybe four, whatever. It's just call the timeout. When you get across the 50, and there's a minute 10 left. The second that the ball is downed, you call a timeout. And then you get another 10 or 15 yards, you call another one, and then you get another 10 yards, and then you hurry up, and then you get a couple shots at the end zone, and you have one timeout left, just in case. Wow. It's maddening, Colter. I saw it in the NFL. If you were at the 50-yard line there's 55 seconds, and it's running, and you have three timeouts, you did it wrong. Totally agree. So weird. Uh, Okay, which one of these crazy games do you want
0: to start with? Uh, We were at two of the crazier games ever. Uh, As much as we bemoan the state of night games when they start at 9.15 at night Montana time, the one good part about it – well, there's two good parts. One, you people all enjoy it. Two, you can cover one game – intently all afternoon into the evening get the content on that game mostly wrapped and then focus solely on the next game it's really hard to watch two games at once it's really hard when they're crossing over when you're trying to finish one and get the other stuff done that part is great there are the uh, three fifteen a.m bedtime is not great but regardless well so let's just start chronologically we'll start with the cat game in uh in bozeman against Weber state i guess i'll start with my broad premise i talked to riley corcoran voice of the grizz about this yesterday Monday. We're recording this on a Tuesday. You can always catch Riley on Nuanas Now on Mondays during the Montana football hour from 4 to 5 p.m., first hour of each Monday's show. We started looking forward to October 22nd in July when we first started looking at the schedule because we sort of thought if everybody takes care of business, Montana, Montana State, Weber State, Sac State will all be in the top ten. It's exactly what it was. Cats are three, Weber State was five last week, Sac State was two, Montana was seven. So pretty much exactly how we expected it to be. We thought that this would be the first Saturday we started to learn a defined pecking order in the big sky. All I think we really learned is that Montana has a lot of questions that they need to answer. The Grizz are getting close to being in real trouble. And other than that, I didn't learn shit. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't learn anything. I thought that coming out of this thing, you know, SAC looked pretty good closing out the game, but that was about it. They looked like they can be vulnerable, especially if they turn the ball over. Montana State looked uh sloppy undisciplined they had egregious special teams errors and weber was just completely shook from start to finish and that's what happens when you never have the ball because you return two kicks or a kick and a punt for a touchdown and your long snapper snaps the ball the back of the end zone count them up one two three four times unreal to watch it all happen Uh, but before we get into sort of the diagnosis of the uh minutia of this game what did you learn anything do we have a more defined there wasn't any of these teams you were like well god dang that team's gonna go win the big sky win the win the national championship I thought it was a lot of pressure on a lot of different teams and I think the only thing I really took away from it is that Montana's on the edge of being in real trouble other than that I don't really know and I think that the other thing you take away is Montana State knows how to win even when they play when they don't play well but other than that I don't really know anything
1: yeah, I don't think we learned that about Montana State. I mean, I think that was kind of how it's how it's been. That's like the Brent Vegan calling card. I mean, that defines his tenure so far at Montana State is that they figure out ways to win, and um, they show a, a tremendous amount of, of calmness and, and, and preparedness. And um, I think that that's going to continue no matter who's on the field, injuries or not. Um, you know, I think we also were reminded, uh, not necessarily learned, because we saw it for, you know, a four-week stretch last fall that, Tommy Mallott can can win a, a football game kind of on his own. Uh, of course, Montana State was was dominant up front offensively, um, amazing blocking schemes and opened up a lot of holes. But Tommy Mallott, as Brent Vegan quoted in the postgame press conference, had you know at least up to ten passing plays that he pulled, the, tucked the ball and ran, uh, which is all him making that decision and, and him putting that the results on his back. And uh, he clearly was was the best player on the field on Saturday, I think by a tremendous margin. So. Again, both reminders, not necessarily new learning pieces. Um, when it comes to Weber, obviously uh, a really talented team that I think should be quite feared if they get everything dialed. The special team's blunders were I mean it was pretty hard to watch, to be honest. I think a lot of people in the stands on the sidelines were kind of getting a kick out of it. They kind of thought it was like, uh, you know, oh, look at this like this guy. It's like, no, that's a pretty tough spot to be in for that, that kid. Well, and that's the thing to remember is there's so much of sports
0: that's improvisation and making plays and spatial awareness and knowing how to, to think and, and perform on your feet and, you know, reacting and all these different things. There's a few elements of sport that are purely a muscle memory mechanism. So then when someone can do it at a level high enough, like long snapping, that they earn a Division One scholarship just to do one thing, then when it breaks, then that means that that's a true breakdown in the person's mind. It's a true mental break that just happened. I was watching the kid on the sidelines. It was one of the hardest things I've ever had to watch in my entire career. The kid couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. I don't know if he'll ever be able to do it again. I was sort of joking with Bobby Houck after the press conference uh, at Montana on Monday he said, "I can't believe nobody asked me about the long snapper." I said, "Well, what do you say? Is he even their long snapper anymore?" He's like, "I'm not kidding you. I don't know if he can be." Uh, it was it was ridiculous to w- try to watch that it all play out.
1: Yeah, it's unfortunate. I mean, not Jay Hill is such an elite coach, and we we have so much respect for him here. Um, you know, I think that you got to step in and probably take that kid out after after the second one. Um, you just can't risk it, you know. They lose. They lose by five. Weber State does to Montana State, and and they give up eight points in safeties. I mean, that's a that's a really hard loss to swallow. You mentioned Colter that you got to stand outside Weber's locker room after the game and listen to most of Jay Hill's postgame speech, and he talked extensively about how and wholeheartedly about how this that game was not on one person or any singular person. It was a team loss, and I think that is the right message to take. And it is you know the team believing in him, and so it's not just that kid, but man. Do I feel bad for him there so outside of that to belabor the point I think Weber is a team that was going to make the playoffs and is going to be pretty scary I think Weber can definitely hang with almost anyone in the country
0: why is that why do you think that
1: because I thought it was from a body evaluation
0: just a personnel guys standing in their jerseys they're impressive they've always been impressive but Weber's been impressive every time I've seen them live for 15 years they have great weight program Utah high school football, which I think they have sixty dudes from Utah on their team, is is really really good. Um, it was just so hard to evaluate them because the game, the action of the game, was so up and down. It was like hard for me to define like, oh, here's what they do well on either side of the ball because it was just kind of like they were rolling, but they hadn't had the ball at all to get there. They're up twenty four nine without with only having one real offensive possession, and then they were getting avalanche. Cats scored thirty four unanswered points, and then they're just
1: in two minute mode. So, what about Weber that stood out to you? Well, I talk about this a lot, and it, it, I hope that people can find good insight in it because, because it's a first person perspective. Of, I mean, I just I, I walk up and down the sidelines all game, and I listen to what people say on the benches, and I listen to the offensive line coach, and I listen to the defensive coordinator, or you know, a linebackers coach who's who's that that voice on the sideline, whatever that looks like. I listen to a ton of it, and they were just such a mature team. Like they they had so many adults. Like there was. Such a, a belief in each other and the, and w- what they were going to get done, and not only was the game weird, man, but it also was is about as hard as it's rained consistently at, at a game that I've been at. I mean, we've had a lot of snow, we've had some downpours, but not for four and a half hours. I mean, it barely let up. Um, so the, the you factor in the weather, some wind, all the weird nature of the flow, as you mentioned, Coulter. I I, I think that Weber felt like they had. A couple good breaks, and they were kind of kind of hang on for dear life because Montana State was was kind of just kind of bring this avalanche, which they they certainly did. Um, I'm not saying that Weber State is better than the top four teams in the country: South Dakota State, North Dakota State, Sac State, Mon, uh, Montana State. I think that they fit right in that next slot, though. I don't think they're going to be in any of those top four teams. I'm not saying that they're going to the Natty or kind of contend to win one, but I do think that in the early in the playoffs that they're a, a, a handful to deal with. And I will get to Sac State real quickly. Is that I. Thought of any game that we've watched, Coulter, that the amount of tension that was there at Montana versus SAC, um, I thought was very high. I thought that both teams felt immense pressure, um, not only to be on national TV, but to be playing for Montana's season in some ways and to be playing for extending extended national relevance for SAC State. I thought both teams were tense. I did not think that the, the game had great flow to it. I, you know, There was a couple plays here and there that were – you know, uh, one of my favorite sayings: um, "Big time players make big time plays." You know, I used to hear that from Mick Delaney all the time, and um, there wasn't a ton of that. You know, there was some good plays, there were some standout moments, but it was a really tense game, and I thought it was obviously, you know, a pretty big, uh, you know, stub toe for Montana. Uh, I think their season is completely, completely up for uh, up in the air right now. I think that you know. Any kind of blunder from here on out, and they're going to miss the playoffs. And then that's quite the fall from grace for me, the number three team in the country just two weeks ago. Um, I do think that SAC is a team to contend with, but I, I wasn't necessarily fully impressed with them, especially defensively. They didn't, they didn't roll as many guys as, as I thought they might. And, um, you know, SAC's a good team. I, I, I don't, don't get me wrong. I, I just don't know if SAC can, can be a Final Four team with uh, kind of where they're at right now. Also have to
0: thank all of our fit during football sponsors as well. I've been trying to really keep the fitness honed in, keep the mind fresh. I made a lot of health changes in my life. Gave up the the drinking, gave up the boozing, and uh, been trying to eat as healthy as possible. And so been staying on track with the help from the guys over at uh, Nutrition on Reserve here in Missoula, as I sit here in the Garden City. The uh, high protein intake. It helps you a lot. It helps curb the appetite. Helps also helps with muscle recovery. helps you feel fresh. My mind feels great. And uh, it helps you work out a lot harder as well. So that's been a, a welcome addition for me. And also been hitting it hard at both the Hype House, uh, which is a cycling and strength studio, awesome place, very welcoming environment, totally outside my comfort zone, but they have awesome spin classes, but also awesome strength classes too. So you can get your lifting in over there as well and uh, get some high resistance type training. That's uh, really good for building that lean muscle mass. And also got to say thanks to Hothouse Yoga. They've been great as well, uh, helping me relax, wind down, you know, it, it, but it does, it kind of juices you up a little bit too, you know, cause you, you get to sit there and be with your thoughts and stretch it out. And it's very challenging physically too. A lot of body weight strength being built as well, but you kind of just get to be, you just get to be, and you get to let, let go of things and, and really explore your own mind. And, uh, it helps you return to center. And then if you're doing it early in the day or in the middle of the day, boom, you hit it and charge hard towards the rest of the day. So, yeah, thanks all those great sponsors for uh, helping me out. If you want to learn more, you can visit all their websites, Nutrition on Reserve, Hype House, and the Hot House Yoga Studio. Check out all those fine sponsors if you're trying to get fit. I promise you, you won't regret the decision. Big Say Breakdown, presented in part by Town Pump. Town Pump's been keeping us fueled up. We were, we made sure to get gas on our way back from Bozeman as we were beating feet back over Homestake pass to get back to Missoula to watch the Grizz game uh, from Brooks' house. And uh, thank God we did, because uh, I wouldn't have wanted got stuck with uh, not a full tank of gas with the weather conditions. But thanks to Town Pump for keeping us fueled up all season long. You can also tune in to Nuwana's now a couple times a week to win gas cards courtesy of Town Pump, Town Pump by the Mile and also proud sponsors of the Brawl of the Wild uh, all-sports competition between Montana and Montana State. People want to point to the long snapper as the, the uh, determining factor in this game. Uh, I thought it was a hell of a lot more than that, though. And I do think that what Ty Okada said in the post game about Montana State's attitude, he said there's a lot of teams out there that have a can't-be-beat attitude. We have a won't-be-beat attitude. It's not about being better than everybody. It's about being able to navigate the course of a game every week and at the very end, figuring out a way to win. Montana State is seriously like 90 seconds away from being 3-2, and just like the Grizz. But they're not. They're 5-0 and because of the won't-be-beat attitude. I thought it was such a great way of, of summing it up. Can esoteric things like that last forever? I don't know. But the l- longer they last and the more you believe them, the longer they last.
1: Yeah, the the Cat-Weber game, I don't think it's going to be a game that we can really look back to and use it as a barometer for the rest of the season for either team. I thought at one point Montana had outgained Weber, Montana State had outgained Weber by like 200 yards or something, and I thought that Weber could have been up by 20, and I thought that Montana State could have won by 30 at the end of the game. I mean, I really think that so much could have happened in that game. Um the fact that Weeper was able to hang in there, even with the special teams blunders, I thought was pretty impressive. I mean, that could really sink a team. I mean, you could then start shanking punt kicks and, you know, putting kickoffs out of bounds and giving up a, a touchdown on the return. And
0: none of that happened. I mean, when you relinquish the lead, when you're up 24-9 because of huge plays, and then you have snapopotamus happen four times in a row, and then you're, you give up 34-and-answered, and now you're losing – to get yourself back in and have a two minute situation and have a chance to win it at the end of the game is just so impressive. You have all the excuse in the world to just have a meltdown, and they didn't. They kept fighting.
1: Yeah, so good on them. I think that game's kind of out the window. So if we want to kind of pivot to you know something else as far as uh, where do these teams go from here? you know what, what does that look like? I think Montana State, obviously a, a welcomed bye week. Uh, not every coach thinks that. you know Bobby Hawke does not like the open date. Um, for whatever reason that may be, um, teach their own. It's hard to say that you'd prefer not one when you've never you've always had one. So it's hard. You know, that, that's always a dichotomy. It's in itself. But I think Montana State enters a, a bye week um, in a pretty darn good position. You know, down the stretch going can have games that they're going to be heavily favored in before Cat Grizz and Cat Grizz in Bozeman, depending on what happens to Montana this week at Weber. Uh, likely going to be a, a slight favorite there, even if it's just the home field points. Um, so Montana State is really setting themselves up to, to, to get a bye um, in, in the first week of the playoffs and, and and really go from there. And, you know, with the experience they have from last year, a deep playoff run all the way to the national championship, I think that Montana State is probably feeling pretty darn good about themselves on this fine Tuesday. Um, got a bunch of guys that are probably hanging out at their houses and, and resting their legs and playing Call of Duty and probably a bunch of happy campers.
0: Big Breakdown presented in part by Blackfoot Communications. Appreciate Blackfoot for all the continued support of our growing burgeoning podcast network and for all their support of all of the things that we do uh, here at skyline sports. Also be sure to subscribe to the skyline sports newsletter by foot communications, the exclusive sponsor of the skyline sports newsletter coming out a couple times a week, straight into your inbox. That's all you got to do. You just got to give us your email and boom, you get emails of all of our most recent content over the last couple weeks delivered right to you. Brooks, Nuana's is joining us here on the big sky breakdown. Um, all right, talk about this Grizz game. First of all, you, you just said something that uh, if the Grizz don't get it back on track, they might miss the playoffs. I I think that the Grizz can get their asses kicked on Saturday against Weber State and still make the playoffs, and that might take a win in Bozeman to get there. Uh, if the Grizz are seven and four, let's say the Grizz lose to Weber State and Montana State, and but they beat Cal Poly and Eastern Washington, they're sitting there at seven and four. That's going to be a fascinating bubble team because they don't have any big wins. In that scenario, they, they will not have any big wins. Any any wins over playoff teams, I should say. But they're Montana. The NCAA playoffs is revenue sharing. It's beneficial to everybody in the bracket if Montana's in there because Grizzlies got to give you all their money. So it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see. But that scenario is a month away. Here we are now with this scenario right here. First of all, let's talk about the, the Sac State game. Everybody in Missoula wants to talk about the 4th and twenty-six. That was that was called inbounds by the officiating. But as I said on the radio yesterday, if a game comes down to a single play in the last four minutes, you already lost the game. That's a loser's mentality to think that one bad call got you. As we saw across the league on Saturday, and pretty much always, the officiating in this league sucks. It sucks. It's bad. They miss calls all over the place. I mean, I bet you we saw twenty-five missed calls in the Grizz Idaho game. Like it's just crazy how bad it is. But. It's bad on both sides. It's not It's not biased. It's just bad, as I said last week. So uh, where are we at with the Grizz? I mean, there was multiple different factors that played into them coming up with an overtime loss. The primary ones people are talking about are Lucas Johnson getting knocked out of the game, special teams blunders, two block kicks, and an onside kick
1: straight to the face that
0: Sac State recovered, and a bad call on fourth down. Where are you? What were the things that made
1: Montana lose for the second week in a row? Well, I mean, after Lucas Johnson went out, I mean, he had – he started well. I mean, they looked like they were going to get some stuff rolling on offense, but, man, the offense is just inept. I mean, it just – we talked about how creative it, that it was early in the season, and and we can put out a bunch of excuses on wh- who's at quarterback, what the running back rotation looks like, all this stuff. Philosophically, it, it's a really bad offense right now, and if you aren't really confident on special teams and defense, which – they are in one and aren't on the other. I mean, you're going, you know, one for three in the units. You're not going to win a lot of games. Junior Bergen has seven catches the last three weeks. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the best. He's one of the best players in the country. I mean, that's probably like six more than Cole Grossman has um, on this version on this edition of Throw It to the Tight End.
0: There's a, Xavier Harris, Junior Bergen, Aaron Fonts, Cole Grossman. Just off the top of my head, this is my math. Uh, just trying to memorize the statue, but I
1: believe had ten, maybe eleven total touches. Yeah, I mean, well, they didn't have more than like eleven total touches as a team. It just, it was, it was. Except, for, except for they ran ninety six plays. Right, but like I'm talking about like quality, <laughs> like real offense where the the ball's rolling, right? Like things are moving, like a completion up to the line of scrimmage, to a new play call, to things moving, and they're just they just don't have it right now, and and I don't know how it's going to change. I mean, I I think that the more that they regress on offense, the more that they are going to tuck in, the more that they are going to. Try to protect the ball. The more that they're they're going to be less creative. That's not me reading the future. That's me knowing this coaching staff. When stuff when when shit hits the fan, these guys are not airing it out. These guys are not saying we need to double down right now. That is the it's the exact opposite of that, and it has been, and it will be. There is just there is just no chance that they're going to say we need to start getting uh, Aaron Fonts jet sweep touches. We need to start getting Junior Bergen seven slot catches a week. I don't think it's going to happen. You saw, I thought it was interesting that everyone and their mom, mostly people who don't know a ton about the program or football, but are, you know, passionate fans, keep wondering why Marcus Knight isn't getting more touches. Why is Marcus Knight not the running back? In the biggest game of the year, they start Marcus Knight in an ineffective style. Um, I just don't think that that's the answer. So where do the Grizz go from here? I, I think that you have to, really start tightening tighten it up on defense and special teams. I think you have to win games the way that they have traditionally in Bobby Houck's second tenure, which is not on offense. And that's sort of
0: what they tried to do on Saturday. I, mean, I talk about the 95 plays, it's because they were trying to grind it out. I mean, their first drive, 15-play, 88-yard drive before Lucas Johnson got hurt. That was the game plan, was to not let Sac State really get rolling. But I think that the the, the biggest issue that Montana has, it's not a specific one, it's a broad one. It's that when the game plan is sound and effective and they get ahead of it and they build and carry momentum, they, they kick your ass. When they don't, they have nothing to adjust to. It's as simple as that. You have to be able to adjust. I thought they had the, actually a great defensive game plan to keep Sac State in check. But then as the game continued to go and Sac State continued to roll and Cam, uh, Cameron Scadaboo, who, by the way, my goodness, what a freak show that guy is, so, so fun to watch, uh, gets going – then all of a sudden you don't you don't have it at the end. And so, I don't know, I guess we can, we can diagnose and talk to what we're blue in the face of all the, the schematic things that ail Montana, but let's talk about moving forward. How essential is this game on Saturday, and what is your take on it, especially as the Grizz travel to Weber State? They'll find out tomorrow, Wednesday. You're probably listening to this on a Wednesday or a Thursday if Lucas Johnson can go or not. If Lucas Johnson can't go, where are we at? Because at this point, it's a fundamental error of the program to not have another competent quarterback, particularly because I was thinking about this the other day. Think over the last 10 years since you got done playing. The Grizz haven't had a quarterback that stayed healthy for the whole year for a single season, not one. Jordan Johnson got hurt. Brady Gustafson got hurt. And, you know, On down the line, Dalton Sneed got hurt. Cam Humphrey got hurt. Now Lucas Johnson's hurt. Got to have a better backup in there. Where are we at, though, with this upcoming matchup against Weber, especially if Chris Brown has to be the guy in her center?
1: I don't even know. Play Daniel Britt. I mean, Chris Brown ain't the dude, that's for sure. I mean, I'm not speaking out of turn there. That's that's everyone. That's everyone's opinion. We all share it. And uh, you know, I root for the kid. I think he's a good story. I think that, you know, if he ends up developing, I, I've just seen big, strong arm, strong arm guys like him, Casey Bauman and, and Montana State comes to mind of, of recently. You know, guys that can chuck the shit out of it, but they just can't play the position all that at a very high level. So, what is what, what do we got going into this Weber game? There, I think it matters tremendously. You know why? Because Montana. I think the number one factor why they've won games the way they have this season and last season and even the season before and most of the time, most of the wins, 100-plus wins under Bobby Houck in his two tenures are because they're tougher and people are intimidated by them. And if they go and and lose to Weber, which, please hear me, I think you can lose in multiple ways, and they're not all the same. But if they go and, and get beat handily by Weber, Guess who's scared of Montana? Nobody. Guess who Montana's going to beat? The teams they should beat. That's it. I mean, if they cannot beat a team that they're that they, is a is a coin flip or that they're slightly favored against, even when they are acting tough, even when things are going their way, most of the time the things at least that you can c- control, and they can't beat any of those teams. If they go and lose to Idaho, and they go and lose to, to Sac State, they go and lose to Weber. And then they go, guess who won't be scared Um, November 20th? The Cats. I mean, that's – I get the playoff thing. I get why you put the Grizz in the playoffs uh, for the revenue sharing. I mean, I get that as much as anybody. And I think it probably would happen. What do you have as a program if you literally break it down to its absolute fundamentals and you have one identity and you cannot even fulfill that identity? I mean, at some point you gotta realize what you got and try to find a new identity. I mean, that's the most frustrating
0: part. I think that's why people that that don't spend sixty hours a week thinking and analyzing this stuff like we do, but but really do really like Grizz football and it's a part of their lives. I think the thing that is eluding people is the why, because the Grizz do have great talent. I think that they still are very average on the offensive line, and I think until they get that fixed, they're going to be chasing what they th- say is their ultimate goal, which is a national championship. They're going to be chasing it forever until they get that. they they, they got to get better up front, period. But I, I was joking about this on my show yesterday, my radio show, but with what they got, skill-wise, I watched Kalispell Glacier, and this is so It's – I'm not trying to be funny. I'm only giggling because it's just so obvious. Glacier, this year, Grady Bennett, Coach Bennett, one of our favorite guys, he has – Five receivers they can play. He's got a quarterback that can sling it. They've had the power running backs for several years now. Jake Randino is one of the most powerful guys in the double A scene in ten years. But well, he he's playing in a Navy now. And what is Glacier doing? They're running four wide, playing seven on seven, throwing the ball all over the place. They scored 84 last week. That's what the Grizz could do. They just if, if your identity that you have long had is eroding before your eyes, you gotta figure out a way to fix it. Else if you don't. The house is just going to burn all the way to the ground. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but I'm saying that the Grizz need to be on high alert. It's been back-to-back weeks of losses, and I think that the thing that is so detrimental to the Grizz is that they never considered for a second that they would be on a two-game losing streak at this point in the season. And so they don't, have any, they don't have any solutions to how to get this thing back on track.
1: Their solution is that we got to go fight harder. And that's not a solution. Bobby Houck says, every week, coach, what do you see Weber State do on offense? Ah, the same thing that everyone else in the country does. Except you guys. Right. You guys don't run any of that stuff. Like, what's your favorite backside post play action formation out of? They don't run it. You know how many freaking touchdowns I've seen Mark Mariani catch on a backside play action? Deep five, deep five-step in the pocket of the running back. Cole Berkwis brings it back up. He rolls to his right. Hits the hash mark. Three step into the up into the, the false pocket. Launch. Aponymous. 40 yards down the field. Trailing quarterback. Cornerback. His arms are flailing. Mark Miani catches it like a T-Rex. Runs straight in the end zone. Touchdown. You know how many times I've seen this, Colter? Why don't we get back to this um, if you're Montana? So the little things. I always talk about there is one Offensive formation that forces a check call on defense. Do you remember what it is, Coulter? It's trips. If you come out in trips, every single defensive call. Let's say you have forty of them in your book. Every single call has a a trips check because if they come out in trips, the way that football is played, you actually are now at a disadvantage on defense. You don't have enough guys to cover it. You have to check into if you get three verticals, you have to have three guys that can man up. That's a check. At seven yards, whichever receiver you're reading, the first, the second, the third, whichever one, if they all are vertical by seven yards, you have to convert into a man coverage. Or you can, you know, you can run some, some zone if you're pressuring up front, which the Grizz like to do. Regardless, you have to start to force the defense's hand on showing them what the, they... You need to know what they're doing. You need to see what, how they're going to play this. So all first half, their trips check is this. They might stress it. They might cloud cover it. They might just go into a quarter's play where, again, you get verticals, you're in man. That might be the call. And at halftime, you look and you say, we ran trips seven times, and they they checked into this six times. So that's their check. So now we know when we go into trips, they're going to check into this. Let's do something to attack that. Grizz aren't doing any of that. None of it. They're not forcing anyone's hand. They think that they're going to be able to dictate on offense what they want to do. But rather you need to start slow playing and figuring out how we can dissect a defense not based on us but based on them. It's a a symbiotic relationship that the bird benefits more from the rhino but the rhino still needs the bird. You have to figure out how to be one of them. And the one that is more important sometimes isn't the big motherfucker that is dictating everything in clear, plain sight. Sometimes it's the bird that picks off the fly. It's the most important piece of this entire system. Sometimes it can be a a minuscule change. It can be such a small piece of it. And they they don't really seem to want to do that. The other thing that they've struggled with on offense, and I've mentioned this several times, is they have platoons of players. And it's almost like a schedule. These three receivers play the first three series and like Aaron Fonts, you know, series four, it's your turn. It's like, why? Why do that? Play your best players. Mix them up every now and then. Like Aaron Fonts can play his Z position with a different X than he usually plays with. It's okay. He's he'll be just fine. <laughs> I, that it's the same with the linebackers on defense. Like for the first 6 games of the year, Jana caro and tyler flink couldn't not play together if one played it's because the other one was in because it's a new platoon it's like or you could just play Jana caro all the time and tyler flink if he ends up playing with michael matthews it'll be okay everything is fine so i don't understand that concept of like these little platoons these this little like predetermined position groupings it's like just play the hot hand play who's played well All we ever hear about is, this guy had a great week in practice. Montana doesn't say this. Every other team does. And guess what? The guy who had a great week in practice gets to frickin' play on Saturdays. It's maddening.
0: I think the system is tried and true when it works, and I think that we're seeing all the flaws of it right before our eyes right now, as it hasn't at least these last two weeks for Montana. The Bobcats on a bye. The Grizz. At Weber State, we'll have full coverage of Saturday's game from Ogden. I'm making the trip down on Friday, so we'll have full coverage for you down there from Ogden, Utah, on Friday and Saturday, skylinesportsmt.com. Thanks to all of our great sponsors, including Opportunity Bank, your local bank, your opportunity. Anything else, Brooks, before we let you go?
1: I'm really interested to see um, if South Dakota State can, loses this year, which I'm not projecting that they will. I haven't looked at their schedule in detail. Last week, they were you know, 16.5-point favorites against North Dakota. That line fell all the way down to eight. Still won that game. If South Dakota State loses, and Montana State, I think, would likely jump to be number one, uh, what that would look like for the Bobcats. We, last time they were number one, I think it lasted for one week. and Den- Denarius McGee got blew out of shoulder. Maybe I'm, I'm missing that. Uh, but they were number one at one time, and it didn't really go all that well. So I'd love to see what those expectations look like for Montana State. If it can happen, which I think actually in the next four weeks, it could.
0: Yeah, you're crossing up two tragic situations. Uh, the Cats reached number one in the country in 2011, and then the next week got promptly blown out by Dan Moore and Pete Wynn and the Montana Grizzlies in Bozeman, 36-10. to 10, And that vaulted the Grizzlies into a playoff seed. Does this sound familiar? An undefeated Cat team getting blown out in Bozeman to let the uh, once-struggling, then suddenly-surging Grizz get a playoff seed. I'm not projecting anything. All I'm saying is that was the time you're referring to. And uh, then in uh, 2012, that's when Denarius McGee busted up his shoulder against SMU. No, that was in 2013. That was the beginning of his senior year. Two two situations. Denarius McGee, the quarterback, the, the tie that binds to both of those. But uh, it will be fascinating. I mean, I think that the thing to remember uh, for everybody that's listening to this is that there's a reason to play the season. Weber State very much, very well could be on a three game losing streak in two weeks because they play Montana and then they play Sac State. Uh, Sac State could be on a two game losing streak because they play Idaho and then Weber State. So the, the turmoil runs deep. The Grizz could be on a three game winning streak when they go to Bozeman or not. They could also not be. We'll see. Brett Vegan's never been to Flagstaff, Arizona. He's never played at the weird walk ups to him. There's a lot of season left to be played. It was a showdown Saturday to be sure, but there's a lot left to be. Determined. Thanks for listening to the Big Sky Breakdown. Up next, Ty Gregorak, lead analyst here at Skyline Sports. He'll diagnose what he saw in the crazy game in Bozeman on Saturday and some thoughts on the Grizz. Keep it right here. Big Sky Breakdown rolls on. Ty Gregorak joining us. He is somewhere in the world (laughs) between Columbus, Montana and Bozeman, Montana. Beautiful part of the world there, though. Ty, you drive so much for your your real job outside of, you know, helping us here at Skyline Sports. Do you have a favorite stretch of highway in Montana? Uh,
2: Yeah, it's called the Beartooth Highway. Um, I actually, if I don't have to bring much product into an account and the weather is awesome, like going down to Cody or Powell, I will go. I will either cut down through Columbus or Red Lodge, and then hit the Bear Tooth, go up over, and then down on my on my Harley. <laughs> and they 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 look at me like, dude, what are you doing, man? But uh, no, it's when you when you get to know the this this whole state because I cover the whole state. Uh, you know where the dead spots are. You know, I mean, everywhere is beautiful in this state to drive, van. I mean, I'm lucky in that regard, but you definitely know where the good gas station stops are and uh, the good, you know, small-town cafes are. And, and if I lose you on this call, uh, I'll call you back, Coulter. It is
0: funny. You really do memorize the dead spots. I drive to and from Missoula and Bozeman so often, I can tell you the exact spots <laughs> where the cell phone goes out. Um, let's talk about this last weekend. What a crazy weekend around the Big Sky Conference. Uh, first... I didn't learn much out of Saturday's stuff except for that the Grizz are reeling. They need to really figure out a way to get this thing back on track before it sort of uh, craters upon them. We're going to get to that, sort of the pressure that comes with the Montana schools both having success and lack thereof. But also, coming out of Montana State's game, I I couldn't tell you actually, objectively, who's a better team. Because I thought both teams played uh pretty poorly pretty sloppy but the cats keep finding a way to win and as ty okada senior safety said in the post-game press conference he said hey we got a won't be beat mentality it's not a can't be beat it's a won't be beat and you can see it i mean they're 19 and 2 against the fcs now 12 and 1 against big sky conference opponents since brent vegan took over so uh, you were in the booth on the uh, tv call uh, have you ever seen a game quite like saturday and bozeman
2: nope nope i haven't Coulter. it was uh well uh, going back to what you just said, I actually think Montana State and Weaver State are two good football teams who did not play good uh, on on Saturday. I think that uh, you know the weather the weather had to play a part you just couldn't, I mean I, you and I were sitting up in a warm cozy box with firehouse subs behind us you know uh, It was cold and wet and sloppy you know, and, and I've said it on air I mean it's just it's just a wild Turn of events. I mean, I, I, about halfway through the second quarter, you know, Montana State looked like they were dead to rights. I mean, they couldn't get anything going. I mean, it started with an interception, and then a huge kick return, a punt return, a block kick, a big play against on defense. You know, you're just sitting there going, this thing could be over. And, and I also said it at the end of at the end of the game. I said, you know, because Ben Ben Creighton asked me, you know, give, give me your final thoughts, and I said, you got to give Brent Vegan you got to give him a lot of of credit because of what he, what we've witnessed in the last year now and a half plus, he took over a team that was loaded with talent, a team that was, that was set to make a a, a championship run of some kind. And all we've seen is his teams not flinch. I mean, they don't, they don't really flinch. And and Ty Okada's comment is, is so spot on in my mind because they just, you know, I know, I know, I know they got. To me, they got. They got their butts kicked by a, a, a better team against North Dakota State. They had every opportunity in the world to beat Wyoming last year. In his first game, they they got blown out by Oregon State, and then the Montana game. And I mean, I, I just named his losses in his in his year and a half plus now as, as the head coach and, and they got their butts beat in Missoula no question and they never did respond they didn't come to they didn't show up the way they needed to and, and in my mind didn't have the right mindset for the greatest rivalry in college football but that being said they, they did a lot of things especially in the, in that second half against against eastern Washington to lose the football game but they didn't they went on the road and won they did a lot of things in this game last Saturday to lose the game but they didn't they 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 did enough at the end to win the game. And it's just, to me, it's a credit to Brent Beacon and his staff.
0: It really is amazing because when you look at the whole sample size, I think Montana State's played really well from start to finish of a game. I can only think of really like two times uh, that was against uh, Sam Houston State in the playoffs and then against UC Davis this year yet again 19-2 and two against FCS opponents and so it really does seem like it's just it's a sense of belief I mean it's a sense of belief that they can get it done no matter which way they do which way they go about it And I think so often in college football I think there's, I think there's too much detail too much planning and sometimes when the plan goes awry you have no answers I think that's one of the primary problems right now for the the Grizzlies I think when when their plan their system doesn't work they don't have anything else to do the cats they can sort of just turn on to a billion different things I mean we were we were texting before the game Ty about how Weber State's secondary certainly one of the best in the country and I thought they were as advertised after watching them live was gonna give Tommy a lot fits and then when Sean Chambers was uh, scratched from the game is like oh man well Tommy's gonna get trial by fire today well, not so much. He's Big Sky Conference Offensive Player of the Week. He did have the early pick, but he shook it off, and he ends up with over 400 yards of total offense and four touchdowns. So uh, they just they find ways all the way around. It's just it's so impressive to watch. They have so many different things they can sort of audible to if, if the initial plan doesn't work.
2: I thought I thought uh, well, one I, I was concerned. I mean, I, and I think I told you that I was genuinely concerned with this game in in losing Marcus Weir and Cole Sain. Isaiah Fonse, like they, they, they Cleveland Thomas, they legitimately have a half a dozen, seven, in theory, starters that are not playing football. And, uh, you know, against a uh, historically physical, uh, you know, well coached defense that will disguise coverage and, you know, want to just smack you in the mouth, I was concerned with MSU's offense. And I, I also said, hey, you've got one of the highest. Output offenses in the country right now. I guess one of the best defenses. Something's got to give, and, and sure. And I said it was. It would be special teams, which it ended up playing a massive part. And then just the penalties. I mean, just for two for a top five matchup and two really disciplined, well-coached teams that are that, that aren't highly penalized. There was a lot of sloppy play, and but I got I got to tell you too. I got to give a lot of credit to Tommy Molot after that first interception, which was just a bad, he was either, A, a really, really bad throw, or a really nice job by, by uh, Weber State's defense just in disguising that coverage. And oh, by the way, Tommy Malat might be one of the best tacklers on MSU, the way he went and just form-tackled that kid after the play.
0: Uh, we were joking uh, at the press box. I said, if that guy played for Bobby, how keep he be playing defense tomorrow? Bobby, <laughs> Garrett Graves and Carson Ross, had already had to have it to him. Make a good tackle on special teams, no more quarterback for you. Anyways, yeah, he was a great tackle.
2: Well, no, but, okay, but well, and that's why you saw him play special teams last year before he emerged as the dude, a dude at quarterback. He's a he's a football guy, uh, but but man, uh, with on his legs and feet against the defense like that, and then and then what he could do in the passing game, I I thought he absolutely deserved Offensive Player of the, of the Week. That was a career esque type game for him. He he was incredible, and and you know we say it every week because Sean Chambers really really brings a lot to the offense. And, and I think just with the, the, the personality and the way the offense was built and what they can and want to do, you can't let Tommy run the ball that many times and take that many shots. But if you've got a guy like Sean that can take some of those shots on while being productive uh, with, with both his legs and, and arm, it's a, it's a win-win situation. I, I know the only thing, if you've got two quarterbacks, you don't have a quarterback. I don't believe that to be the case with this outfit anymore. I really don't. Now, Tommy had, to Tommy had to do it all on his own because Sean was unavailable for the game. But what a great game by Tommy Malott. What a great game by Brian Armstrong's offensive line. What a great jo- job um, by the running back room. And, and I, I haven't heard yet. Um, I've been busy. Shoot, I was over here yesterday in Billings for doing some work. I don't know what the status of Lane Sumner is. I can say this. Trump, there, there might not be a better time of the season to get to catch that bye week than right now. And they put themselves in position, man, where they're they're in the driver's seat to make a run at, at, at the conference championship because they get to freshen up and heal up this week. Then they're on the road, which you and I both know in this conference is not easy. They gotta go to, you know, seven thousand plus feet in flag and they gotta go to San Luis Obispo before, you know, it's crazy to say that it'll be almost a month before they get to to play to play the brawl, but that that's that's the facts and I mean, right now they've got a they've got a pretty nice path to a Big Sky Conference championship right now, man.
0: It's pretty amazing, and it is a perfect time. I mean, I think that I would like my buy to be exactly the last week of October, after five conference games, uh, eight games overall, and then right on the eve of November. I think it's it's a perfect time. Ty Gregorak joining us here on the Big Sky Breakdowns, presented in part by J and V Restaurant Supply, J and V Restaurant, your home for everything kitchen. The height of tailgating season. If you're a Bobcat fan, only one home game left. If you're a Grizz fan, you got two home games left. JV Restaurant Supply has all sorts of great stuff for your tailgate. Visit JVRestaurant.com. Ty, I want to ask you about a broad question because in, in the Big Sky, and you probably have a little bit different uh, perspective on this now that you know you're kind of in the media, you're you're contributing here at Skyline, and you're you're color commentating on the TV broadcast. But you always knew this. I think you understood it from early on in your coaching career as well. And that is that at Montana and Montana State, you're under a much brighter spotlight than you are anywhere else in the big sky. There's certainly good fans and, and good fan bases at Idaho and, and Weaver State. And, I mean, even Idaho State has a, a little pocket of, of diehards. But, you know, on Saturdays in Montana, the world stops for, for college football. Everybody wants to know what's going on half a million people of the million people in the state could ask you or tell you what's going on with the Grizz what's going on with the Cats and I do think it plays a huge influence especially when things are going really well and you're having to deal with the hype machine or when things aren't going very well like they are with the Montana Grizzlies right now and you have to deal with the world raining down upon you I mean you and I talked about it we were teasing about how you know the Grizz score. You know, 47 points against Northwestern State and just, you know, run them out of the building and people still have, you know, complaints. They they kill Indiana State 49-14, they still got complaints. Well, guess what? When you lose two in a row, the complaints and the noise are so loud. But when it comes to a coaching perspective, though, how do you manage and mitigate all that stuff? Because I think that's the key to the Grizz season moving forward here is not getting crushed by all the outside noise, trying to figure out what they do internally well and go do it again on the field? How, how do you mitigate just uh, the distractions?
2: Well, you, you got to understand, too, these guys, I mean, in Montana, you grow up wanting to be one or the other, you know, and, and, and every now and then we have a, a really, really good athlete from the state of Montana that gets to go play group of five or power five. But the, the best football players in the state of Montana are generally going to one or the other. The kids that are coming from out of state, They want to go play in these environments because they're the best uh, on the West in, in, in this level of football. And so you got to understand that there's a reason why these fan bases are so good. And and one, one's getting 20 ish a game and one's getting 26 to 27 a game. That, that pressure is going to be there. That's, that's what you sign up for. And you know, they're going to, when, when you're riding high, they're going to love you. When things aren't going well, they're going to let you know, but it's a lot better than, than some of the outfits around this league where they just don't care, Coulter. They really don't care. And and so, you know, to that I just say you gotta stay focused and, and the the best head coaches keep their teams focused. And they and they, they they stress the importance of every game and that every team wants to knock you off because, you know, one one made a run. One one has made lots of runs and, and, and been very successful. Uh, in terms of the national scale. I mean, when people think Montana, uh, when people think FCS football, that that know football, that are college football fans, they're going to name a a couple few teams on one hand. And the University of Montana is always going to be one of them if they're in the know. It's North Dakota State. It's Montana. It's, you know, what was App State and James Madison. And, you know, with the emergence of Montana State, I feel for teams like, like Sacramento State, I mean, they, they it, take, it takes them winning every game to finally get any love uh, on, on a national level, and even in their own home, hometown, they you know they can't they have a tough time selling out games. But you know, going back to Brent Vegan, and, and I mean, shoot, all he's done is win, just like Troy Taylor. It's all they've done. That's all they've done since they've entered the Big Sky is win, and, and and it's pretty cool. So, I don't know, man. I in terms of the pressure and all that stuff. You sign up for it as, as a coach and a player, period.
0: It's so true. And I just, I just wonder then how much the leadership – see, I, here's my thought, and you can tell me what you think of this. I think I, I actually have – even as somebody that sits on the other side of the aisle from Bobby Houck in terms of I'm the one asking him questions, he's the one answering questions, whatever. I do sort of get his broad premise – in wanting to make the narrative of the team about the team and not the individual. I do get, if you do that in this perfect way you can do it, I get the benefit of that. That said, I also think when Coach Houck does nothing but set the narrative for the program, he tells his guys what to say in the press conferences, there is no originality to it whatsoever, but then when things start going awry, the entire organization lacks accountability for it because all they do is try to be confrontational and Uh, you know, basically push back on anything and everything that the media says. And and I wonder how much that influences the uh, the, the, sort of the the mentality of the players because then it can kind of spiral on you. You know, like when, when Coach Alk is sitting up there on Monday talking about how they don't have special teams issues when he has been, in my opinion, the best special teams coach I have ever seen in college football. And now they're sitting here with half a dozen blocked kicks or missed extra points and they've gotten an onside kick attempted on them four weeks in a row and executed on them two weeks in a row and he's saying they don't have problems on special teams I just think that's not a good message to your team and you wonder how much that influences their mentality going forward I guess I'll say it like this and if you've been listening to the Big Sky Breakdown to this point you heard Brooks Nuana say it earlier Montana their style is based off of their identity and their identity is as the baddest mofos on the block once that identity is little bit off kilter once people don't believe it anymore once you can't intimidate people then i wonder how much your sense of belief as the grizzlies is impacted and i wonder how much that has to do with your success going forward so i just i wonder if montana they need to they need to somehow re-harness what they had what they've had when they're good for the duration of coach Houck's return because when they when they got it they're great and when they don't have it i mean they're six and nine against ranked opponents over the last four years that that's a stat that can't lie so i just wonder where the grids are at mentally
2: you know just going back to going back to the montana state game how shocking is it to see a jay hill coach team have so many special teams issues and blunders in one game unreal and i i know coach i mean coach how can coach i know you and riley were talking about it they're probably the two best special teams guys in the league i mean they, they value Teams that is going to be the mentality and the personality and the identity of of, of Weber State and Montana special teams and defense and when yeah when when those are failing you I mean you almost got to look in the mirror and say okay I mean you got to almost t- get back to ground zero special teams and I, I mean I, I I watched the game I'll game long day and but but man. Special teams are, are rearing their ugly head in not one but two games in a row. That's, something's up, you know. And, and I kind of I, I, – I mean, I, I called out Montana State pretty good, you know. And I, as I said I wasn't trying to be necessarily critical. It's easy for, for us as fans and media folks to want to, to, to wanna critique everything. But, my God, you know, you give up back-to-back kick returns. You know, and you, and you see guys not getting off of tackles, and is there a hold or a block in the back here? Probably, buddy. I mean, there's penalties on almost every play in football. You know, but it's just when, when, you, when you're starting to get into an identity crisis this late in the season. That's interesting. You know, that that's that's tough. So the the mentality, the, the, I, I actually think the mentality, they they did enough good things, Montana, to go down there again. I saw out a foul. <laughs> You know, the targeting the you know blah 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 I mean I just named, you know I just named a couple few plays not an entire ball game you know they they, they they had a good plan they just couldn't execute it at a high enough level to go on the road late at night and beat a good team
0: well Montana State as we mentioned are they're sitting pretty now with the five and0 record in and big Sky play two very winnable road games leading up to uh the brawl with Montana and uh, you know I think that probably barring a, a, a unforeseen disaster, Cats are probably going to be 7-0 going into Cat Grizz. On the Montana side, those are getting easier. they got to go on the road and play that Weaver State team. But talk about two teams just so hungry and eager for a bounce back. So what do you think of this matchup at Ogden on Saturday? I mean, Coach Hill was so upset after the game on Saturday in Bozeman. How could you not be? I mean, four long snaps out of the back of the end zone, two kick returns for touchdowns, and you don't win. You block a field goal. I mean, if you were to tell Coach Hill... You're going to get an interception on the first series of the game that sets up a score. You're going to have two kick return, two uh, returns for touchdowns in the same quarter. You're going to block a field goal. And you're going to lose? I mean, I, he was beside himself, and, I, and I, I understand why. But I got to listen to a little bit of his post-game speech, and as he said, he said, guys, we're not going to talk about any of this game ever again. He said, this is no one's fault. It's not the officials' fault. It's not one individual's fault. We're still a great football team. We have everything out in front of us. We got to go get it. I think Montana. I think they should take the same approach. So, what do you think of this game on
2: Saturday in Ogden? Well, it's a it's a huge game, man, on, on so many levels. And uh, you know, you're right. Um, you know, every I mean, buddy, I was just listening to full ride with Chris Childers and Rick Neuheisel, who's my my head coach from Colorado, and they br- they brought it up. They, they they on their get get yourself together segment, they brought up the Weaver State four safeties. But you know what people aren't bringing up is how many drop footballs Weaver State's receivers had. I actually thought Barron played a pretty good game. His his dudes were dropping balls, and ultimately Ty McPherson, who's been one of the more consistent receivers sure. in the league, dropped a, a huge fourth and ten. And, and I actually would have loved to have seen more replays of it. It was kind of like. Up incomplete. It's a drop. Game over. You know, I, which at first look it did look like it hit the ground. But you know, Weber State's offense couldn't really get into a groove till late in the second half. And when they did, they were they were grinding pretty good. And that's why I was surprised that Brent Vegan didn't take the points there. It was about I think they were about 11 up there. Uh, you know, in the fourth quarter, and he yeah. didn't take the points. They stop them on fourth. And I'm going, boy, okay. Like, again, easy from 200 yards away up in a press box to be critiquing a coach's call. And if they get it, everyone's like, oh, what an aggressive call. Great call, coach. You know, then they plug it in for hopefully seven, but they didn't. They stopped them. And sure enough, Weavers, you know, they had two fourth down conversions and almost a third on that last drive, which they probably should have gone for a few more fourth downs or, or at least gotten into what we used to call pearl jam, where the quarterback would just take a step back or two. Your, your, your normal center still shotgun snaps it and he punts the ball away, which, you know, hindsight 2020, you're kind of shocked that they didn't do that. But it's a huge game. Montana is on the road again at a tough place to, pay, tough place to play. Everybody talks about, you know, the the scenery and the, the crowd and how cool of a place Montana and Montana State are. I think Ogden's an what, what, awesome place to go play with the mountains in the back and they've put a lot of money in their facility and I, I've always – Thought that was a real neat, neat place to play. So, massive game, massive implications down in Ogden, and then uh, it's Idaho State, right?
0: Idaho State. Who would have thought two undefeated teams in the Big Sky?
2: Great job by Idaho, man. They're they're <laughs> with what they did in Missoula, which some could say maybe wasn't even as close as as, as the score might have set. And then and then you know scrapping for a little bit there in that first half, and ultimately blowing out of Portland State. Wow. I mean, so as big. I know you earmarked the 22nd and talked about it for half the year, but this, one, this one's every bit as important and every bit, uh, uh, you know, with stuff with, with, with things on the line in terms of not just the conference race but playoffs, massive weekend here on Halloween weekend, man.
0: No question. I mean, let's say Weber State loses to Montana. Then they're on a two-game losing streak and they got sack. Let's say SAC loses to Idaho. Then they're going to be playing a Weaver team that's either coming off a bounce back win over Montana or licking their wounds after two straight losses to the Montana schools. Or let's say SAC wins, then Idaho has a big schedule coming up as well. So there's all sorts of round robins to be had. That's why I think, last thing for you then, Ty, I think it's all about the here and now for for everybody involved here, right? I mean, the Grizz, for as, as disappointing as the last two weeks have been, if they just went out, they're 9-2. That's about probably where you thought they were going to be. They would have wins over two top five teams going into the playoffs. They're going to be a playoff seed. Even if they split, I think if they win in Bozeman, they'll be a seed either. anyway. So, I mean, it, it is just about focusing on the next task at hand because as insular as it could be when you look at yourself, it is disappointing that the Grizz have lost two in a row um, given their, exter- their internal and external expectations. But... There's still a lot of football to be played. There's still a lot of, of different results that could go in favor of and not in favor of all the contenders remaining in the Big Sky.
2: Yeah, and it, you know it's also crazy to think just with how strong the Big Sky is right now, the, the outcomes over the next few weeks could, could potentially mean like three, maybe four Big Sky teams making the playoffs or five, maybe six. That's what's insane. You know, I mean, and and that those are all like legitimate possibilities. And so, man, it's, I mean, you you said it, you know, with UC Davis's win, there's still an outside shot. So you've got Montana, Montana state, Weber state, Sac state, Idaho. And what the, how the heck is, is uh, UC Davis going to finish their year? Nuts, man. It's awesome. It's like, it's, it's, it's the way the SEC, you know, just, it, it, every week it's a slugfest, and they'll beat themselves up. You know, you see other teams rise in the pool, but you're, everyone still knows the best. The best football teams are, are down south. Period. You know, they just all they all they all beat up on each other.
0: It's so true. The Big Sky is the SEC of the FCS. We've been saying it forever and ever. Ty Gregorak joining us here on the Big Sky Breakdown. It's presented in part by Nick Tabor and Westpac Wealth. Let, let Nick Tabor and his friends at Westpac Wealth make your life more tax efficient. Coach Dye, thanks for being with us, man. Really appreciate it. Good talk. Travel safe, and uh, we'll catch up with you soon.
2: Thanks, Colter. Have a great week, and enjoy the game. And uh, yeah, man, look forward to talking next week.
0: Whether you're in the restaurant business or you just want to host any big event, j Restaurant Supply can make sure you have everything you need. j Restaurant Supply is your home for everything kitchen. Whether you're a bear or a bobcat, an eagle or a Scotty, j Restaurant has everything you might need. They have locations in Bozeman, Billings, and Great Falls. If you can't make it in, j also has a great website, jvrestaurant.com. Get everything you need for your next event at j your restaurant specialist. ESPN Roundtable, probably presented by Paradise Falls. Paradise Falls has thirty big screen TVs, eighteen draft beers, breakfast, lunch, dinner, multiple happy hours. Go check them out on the south side of town. Thirty-six twenty-one Brook Street, Paradise Falls, Missoula's coolest hotspot. All right, little Big Sky Conference blindside. I don't care if we go outside the football world, but uh, sort of thinking it was in the football world. But either way, I can I can wrap anytime about anything when it comes to the Big Sky. Uh, so Andrew will give me a couple questions. I might have a couple for him as
3: well. And uh, we shall discuss, what do you got for me? Yeah, Coulter, I mean, the simple version of this question is, who do you think is the best quarterback in the big sky? But the actual question that I'm asking is, which quarterback or which quarterback tandem for a couple of the contenders do you trust the most when you're playing close games in the FCS playoffs?
0: Man, what a loaded question. I love that. I love that. Uh it, it is fascinating because for so long this was no the Big Sky Conference was known as a a quarterback league and some of the most prominent players in the history of Division 1AA or FCS football have been quarterbacks in the Big Sky Conference. And then last year there was like two guys from the old guard that were like high school recruits that got developed by their programs that were three, four, five-year starters left. And that was Eric Berrier, who was the offensive player of the year in the Big Sky and the um, Walter payton Award winner last year at Eastern Washington. And then Davis Alexander, who was a three-year, uh, three-and-a-half-year starter at Portland State, a three-time All-League guy, really, really good. And then the re- across the rest of the league, so many new faces, so many programs trying to go with transfers, but then that didn't work out. There was programs where they brought in a transfer and a freshman that they wanted to compete, like Northern Arizona with uh, Kandre Woodkey, the kid from Oklahoma State, and uh, R.J. Martinez, who went on to win um, Big Sky Conference Freshman of the Year last year. And Montana State did that exact same thing. They brought in a transfer in NC State quarterback Matt McKay and a freshman in Tommy Millat. And it was McKay that led the Bobcats to nine wins, and then Malat that led them to their run to the FCS championship game. And we also see this dual quarterback system at Sacramento State as well. And both those guys are transfers too. Jake Dunaway, a junior college guy. Uh, Asher O'Hara, a guy who came from a group of five school. So it's almost as if two of the primary candidates for best quarterback in the big sky is actually best quarterback room because it's sort of hard to... Pick against who's ever playing quarterback at Montana State. They've had a variety of them the last couple of years, and they've done nothing but win against FCS teams. Nineteen and two against FCS competition the last two seasons since Brent Vegan took over. And with Sac State, same deal. I mean, they had Kevin Thompson in twenty nineteen that first year they won the Big Sky title. But with this two quarterback system for Sac State, they're undefeated. I mean, they have they have not lost a Big Sky conference game since rolling with. Jake Dunaway, and Astro O'Hara at this two-quarterback system. Bobby Houck mentioned before the Sac State game that it's almost like a version of the triple option out of the spread. They have similar splits and similar rules, but then the, the triple option isn't a a dive quarterback pitch. It's more of a dive, rollout, throw, run pitch thing. <laughs> it's, it's interesting to see how they operate, but I think that... Um, it's undeniable in the wins and the losses. The, the individual guy who I've been the most impressed with, I know he's he's not there yet, but I think he, if he keeps getting better, he's going to be there, is Giovanni McCoy from Idaho. He's been excellent. I also thought Bronson Barron played a lot better than the stats indicated last week against Weaver State, but his receivers dropped a whole bunch of passes. But man, that's just so tough to say. I think I got to go with Sack State's two headed monster of. of Jake Dunaway and Asher O'Hara. But the, the fluidity of the quarterback room at Montana State since Taylor Housewright started coordinating that offense and uh, the, re- the pending return of Sean Chambers as uh, the other quarterback besides Tommy and Lot for the Bobcats, it makes it a closer discussion than, than maybe you might think. No one is now ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television, and the ESPN Montana app. Okay, my turn. Well, Big Sky Blindside here on the ESPN roundtable. All right, Andrew. There's uh, two premier nationally recognizable showdowns in the Big Sky Conference this weekend. Once again, Idaho is at Sacramento State. Two undefeated Big Sky teams, two of the last three undefeated Big Sky Conference teams playing each other. Undefeated at Big Sky Conference play, that is. And Sac State is undefeated, period. And... Then you have two teams coming off of heartbreaking losses as Montana travels to Weber State. Which is a bigger game? Which one has more ramifications in the big picture to you?
3: Oh, interesting. Yeah, as far as which one is the bigger game, I think it's got to be Montana and Weber State just because they are coming off losses. And, and if you look at it objectively, Coulter the Grizz have the most to lose right now out of any of those four teams. So they've got the most riding on this game out of any of those four teams because you fall to a three-game losing streak, three losses in conference. With another tough game coming up at the end of the season against Montana State, suddenly we're not talking about you know the Grizz not being a seed. We're talking about the Grizz maybe being on the bubble line for the playoffs if they lose this game. So just in terms of the ramifications, the consequences, I think that one's a huge one. I thought you were going to ask me just which one I was looking forward to more, and if I had mm. I had a choice, I'd I'd pick Idaho-Sacramento State just as the game that I would want to watch. Well, of course, I mean the last time, the, the last
0: two times Montana-Weber State played, it came in 2019, and I definitively remember before the November game in 2019 here in Missoula. It was it was the first time, and, it's, and I've only had this this thought and this. Feeling in this analysis a couple times. I actually, when it happened that November, I thought it was the beginning of what would be long-lasting thoughts and feelings about the Grizz like this. And I thought, given the week of practice that I, you know, this was when Ryan Tutel was still here, so I was able to go to more practice. And I thought just going to practice and also just uh, listening to Bobby Houck and listening to the, the team and also analyzing the matchup, I thought the Grizz were going to just rip Weaver State to shreds, and that's exactly what they did. They they knocked Josh Davis right out of the game right away. Treshawn Malone got hurt in that game. Jake Constantine got bruised and battered, the quarterback for Weaver State, and Montana ran roughshod, and it ended up a 35-16 game, but it wasn't that close. Montana absolutely destroyed Weaver State, and I, I remember thinking you could just kind of feel it in the air, as stupid as that sounds. Well, that— feeling i thought that that sort of essence of the grizz intimidation style i thought that that was going to be omnipresent but it's been so up and down they've claimed it and and found it at certain times this year even even down the stretch in that year and last year a little bit too but it has not been as consistent as i thought it would be or as they have wanted all that's to say though in the second time those two teams play later on that season Montana uh, let it all slip away and, and Weber State just went nuts. I mean, Adam Rodriguez was a man possessed in that game, the old Weber State defensive end. he He had four, I think, four and a half sacks, and uh, was in the backfield just relentlessly, constantly, all the time. And Dalton Sneed threw five picks, and Weber State won seventeen to ten, and that helped punch the first ticket to the final four of the FCS playoffs for Weaver State in their school's history. And the two teams haven't played since then. And so I think that both teams coming off a loss, I think there'll be an element of desperation in terms of how they play, but I also think they are two teams that like to stand square in the middle of the ring and swing it out and fight it out. That's going to bring make for a physical football game, which I love. But you're right, just in terms of sort of offensive um, matchups and... Contrasting styles between Sac State and Idaho, I think it's going to be fascinating to to watch. I definitely think that is a more aesthetically appealing game, but I think that the Grizz-Weber State game is, is much bigger of a game because no matter what happens, the loser of that game is reeling, and if it's Montana, they're really reeling.
3: Well, and I think the other thing with that idaho Sac State game, Coulter, is I just want to see the Vandals do it again, and they don't need to prove anything. I mean, they came into Missoula and beat Montana, and I don't care what you think about Montana having a bad game in that game, the Grizz beating themselves. That was an incredibly impressive win, but as far as Idaho goes, I think they're a top-ten team now. If they could do it against Sacramento State, it would just sort of be the other side of the coin, right? Because they for come sure. in and beat the Grizz, and the Grizz are a team that's built on on defense and, and sort of Idaho outgrinded them in that game. If they can beat Sacramento State and slow down Sacramento State's offense, that, for me, vaults Idaho up into the real top tier of contenders for sure. this year, just being able to beat both of those teams with such different styles. I mean, I think... People are underrating them in the polls, still. Obviously, they are. I think Idaho is a top ten team, clearly. And if they beat the number two team in the country, they're gonna—they're absolutely gonna be a top five team. Well, I would think so, but I think the polls have been a week or two behind them all I year. Think so. But it's just the the way of doing it, and beating those two different teams would make would really vault them, in my estimation.
0: The Vandals, then, if they were to win at Sac State, then they would end up the season with. Uh, Eastern Washington coming to the Kibbe Dome. UC Davis coming to the Kibbe Dome. And then they go on the road to Holt Arena. I guess Idaho State. So uh, Idaho would absolutely be in the driver's seat if they could get past SAC uh, this upcoming weekend. is now ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television, and the ESPN MT app. Andrew Houghton, the man behind the glass, joining us here Uh, for a little Big Sky Blindside. We're asking each other questions to promote conversations about Big Sky Conference football. All right, time for probably one more. Uh, What else we got?
3: Yeah, well, Riley Corcoran brought this up in the Montana Football Hour on Monday, and it's something that I've been thinking about too, something I brought up, I think, in the, the last week's Big Sky Scramble. UC Davis has a real shot at the playoffs. I think if they win out and get to 7-4 and four with those two big wins to close the season, I think they will be in the playoffs. I think if they split those games, they'll at least be in the playoff discussion, although I, th- I think if they finish 6-5, and five, they'll probably end up on the wrong side of the line. But just philosophically for you, Coulter, for the Big Sky, if UC Davis gets in, I think that would give the Big Sky six teams in the playoffs this yeah. year, but that would also tag on an extra loss to two of your real contenders there in the sure. Big Sky. So, if you had your druthers, which would you rather have? Would you rather have as many teams in the playoffs as possible, or would you rather say, would you rather have six teams in the playoffs, or would you rather have, you know, say four teams but they're all really well positioned?
0: Uh, well, I think that we've seen that seeds at home
3: games don't
0: do a thing for Sac State. They're zero two in the playoffs, even get, though they won the Big Sky and got seeds at home games. So maybe you know. Losing a couple, getting into the playoffs not as the Big Sky champion relieves some pressure. You know, I mean, as crazy as it sounds, like, the, the, first of all, the Cosby Classic is in uh, Sacramento. If that one, if, if UC Davis comes in there and wins, then if Sac State gets a home game each of the next two weeks after that UC Davis win, there'll be less people there than there was for the Cosby Classic. So I actually think Sac State might be better to just take the show on the road. So maybe they're a team that benefits more from not having uh, a higher seed. But all that said, Big Sky Conference teams hardly win on the road in the playoffs. That's true for Montana. They have won one FCS playoff game on the road. 2008 James Madison uh, in the quarterfinals. Maybe it was the semifinals. It was in the 2008 playoffs, though they went to James Madison and won. And Montana State, in terms of the Division I AA FCS finals or uh, playoffs, they've won one road game ever. Last year at Sam Houston. So, and I'm sure that the statistics are very, very much similar across, you know, the FCS. I mean. North Dakota State, we don't even know. North Dakota State has played two road playoff games in their entire Division I history. They won one in Bozeman, and they lost one at Eastern Washington. We have no idea if the Bison can win on the road in the playoffs, but that's the whole point. They don't ever have to go on the road in the playoffs, number one or number two seed, all the way until Frisco for a decade-plus here now for North Dakota State. So it's it's important to have home games. It's important to have momentum Uh, going into. So I think what would be best for the league would be less teams with better positioning rather than more teams giving them more chances. Uh, But we shall see. We shall see. I I think that this is a good year in the big sky, but I also think it's a, I think one of the factors that's not being talked about in why there's sort of this, there's nobody really in the middle tier besides UC Davis who's just hovering right there. It's these five teams that are all in the top 14 and then there's UC Davis, and then there's all these other teams that just really have no chance to win games, although I do think Portland State could wreck a season or two down the stretch here. Maybe Eastern could, too. Who knows? But either way, I think the fact that there isn't really any middle makes it so that you either have a, a primetime showdown like we're talking about. I mean, we have been very easily able to highlight two games in the league for pretty much the whole season as games to watch because the other ones are just foregoing conclusions. That helps buoy your top teams. It makes it so you can just load up. You don't have to worry about that letdown game or whatever. And I think that sometimes people think that, oh, the Idaho game was a trap game for the Grizz. No, Idaho's just really good. So I do think that the, the haves and have nots in the big sky helps fortify the uh, the entire league, actually. I think it make it's the reason we see six contenders and six non-contenders basically cut and dry. I also think, though, with the way the FCS has transformed, the uh, rescheduling, reallocation, all that stuff, uh, teams moving up, the attrition uh, of the ranks of the elite in the FCS, the Big Sky should have that many teams on a national level, certainly. it would be interesting to see how it all plays out, but another big weekend coming up here uh, in Big Sky Conference play. That's your ESPN Roundtable presented By Paradise Falls of Missoula. Paradise Falls is open 7 a.m. until midnight. They have breakfast, lunch, dinner. Great place to go watch games. Great place to go have some coffee. Great place to go have a beer. Go check out Paradise Falls, 3621 Brook Street on the south side of Missoula. Paradise Falls, Missoula's
3: coolest hotspot.